Cross FM 94.6, your community radio station for all your job vacancy adverts. Have you got job vacancies you want to advertise for unbeatable prices? Then look no further than Ross FM 94.6 for your job vacancies, which will be aired on the Business Hour show every Thursday between 5 and 6 p.m. Contact us today via email info at rossfm.ie to have your job vacancies on air. Join me, Jim McCausland, for the Business Hour on Ross FM every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. for all your business news and business chat. Hello, you're listening to Business Hour with me, Jim McCausland, on Ross FM. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Peter Clancy, owner of the Lockery Distillery on the shores of Lockery in Lanesborough, County Longford. Hi, Peter, and thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. Peter, for our listeners that don't know about your business, the Lockery Distillery, can you tell me a wee bit about it, please? I sure can, Jim, I sure can. I suppose um, sit back and brace yourself a small bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're Lockery Distillery. We're based in Lanesboro, our hometown of Lanesboro, there on the main street, just opposite Super Value. So um, we're basically set up at micro distillery scale at the moment, which means we've got a small scale and, and kind of small scale distillation. We've been in operation there since uh, end of the summer 2018 and launched our first product October 2018 in the, at the food festival, Taste of Lakeland's Food Festival in Lanesborough. So since then, our business has been all about kind of trying to develop the routes to market for our products but also bringing along our, our kind of what we call our main site or phase two of our business, which is developing the kind of post office site, the old post office site in Lanesborough into a kind of full scale commercial whiskey distillery um, and other products. And that's really, I suppose, about our business. So we're kind of an operational distillery with all the challenges that brings. And um, then we're, you know, I suppose, on the cusp of a major capital project, which uh, we're very excited about um, uh, I, I think would be would be a bit of a game changer for the area as well yeah so Peter how did you get the idea of starting up a distillery it was a very simple dinner table conversation right uh, where myself and my brother were chatting with our mother um, and you know there was something about a property we had and it, it, the kind of conversation was, well, what could we do with that property? And there was something about a, a microbrewery. And I, I knew nothing about this space. My brother Mike was in the conversation. He said, no, it'd be too small for that, but you could actually look at a micro distillery. And that just kind of started. Um, so we blame our mother for this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she was, uh, I think she was the one who threw the ball in, but I don't think she had any idea where it was going to end up. Um, and listen, just myself and Mike just kind of took that idea explored it, um, spoke to the local enterprise board, did a bit of a kind of feasibility study on it, you know, looked at um, at the various options on it. And, and listen, just kind of kept working on it in parallel with us kind of working in our in our day jobs, per se. And, you know, it had various kind of machinations and um, ultimately kind of finding the post office site then became, uh, again, a, a big kind of line in the sand. And another, you know, another line in the sand was kind of deciding to go for planning and becoming public with it and, and all of that stuff. So that's the kind of potted history of how we've got to where we are now. What would you say is the driving philosophy of your business? At an early stage in this, we kind of sat down with Board Bia with some of the brand strategy people on Board Bia because, again, whether we realised it at the time or not, we certainly realise it now, this business is all about brand, brand, yeah. brand, brand. 
as part of that exercise, we set out a vision, which was for our brand initially, but which we've kind of tailored to become our overall business vision. And that's real simple, okay, but we refer back to it again and again and again. It's to bring to the world, from our hometown of Lanesborough, the finest, most highly regarded Irish spirits, okay? So it's not just Irish whiskey. Uh, there's a kind of a realisation in there that um, everything we do has to be top quality. That's how a small guy like us competes on a global stage, is that you become recognised for quality products. Um, our hometown, from our hometown of Lanesborough, is... is massively massively important to us okay um and then i suppose to bring to the world bit is global ambition so really what we're trying to become is a global drinks business okay yes. you know coming from lanesboro um making really high quality uh, and and recognized as high quality irish spirits mm -hmm. that's great Peter, uh, you currently produce three products. Would you like to tell us about those? Our initial product was uh, Slingshot Gin, right? Distilled Irish Gin. So um, that, and that was the, the product we launched in October 2018. So um, quite a different gin to, to other gins in that it's a, it's a combination of uh, four different distillates, right? So we, we actually mm -hmm. make four different still runs, if you like, um, and then blend those together. So... We have a kind of a classic gene, you know, which is your juniper. Every gene must have juniper. After that, you can put whatever you want in it, but it must have juniper. So juniper, cardamom, celery seed, coriander, uh, I think there's seven, angelica, um, trying, to, trying to think of them all. That's one still run. Another one is made out of citrus, fermented citrus. Another one is made from uh, mint, fresh mint. Mm -hmm. And the last one then, and this is the absolute uniqueness of, our, of this gin, is um, peat. We're the first people in the world to use peat as a botanical or as a distillate in the product. Lots of other guys yeah. in the scotch industry uh, use peat smoke to dry the malt that they use in whiskey. We actually distill peat, right? So when we combine those four distillates, if you like, together, they... Uh, give us a, 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 a kind of a very rounded, well-balanced product. And the peat adds this kind of uniqueness in terms of a, a nerthiness and a, um, a sweetness to it, which, um, you know, when we're out talking to people in trade events or bar people abroad or whatever, they really get taken with the peat because it's, uh, it's just something they don't come across. And the taste that it gives us, uh, is, again, is something very unusual. And, and listen, kind of nearly retrospectively, We've, you know, coined it back into the, um, anyone familiar with the wine world, terroir is this big kind of concept in the wine world where it's about the ground that the grapes have grown in, right? So we've, we've sort of coined a phrase that our, our uh, uh, you know, slingshot gin is the very essence of terroir because it contains the ground uh, from the locality effectively as in the peat. So... That's Slingshot Gin. Uh, I suppose that's our core kind of value product. You know, been really well received. I mean, we've won 11 international awards for that at this stage uh, all across the world. Um, that's the first one. The second one, and I'll stay on the gin team, um, is, is another gin. It's called Achill. So Achill is the Irish for juniper. So this is a product we came up with just summer of last year. Um, we were actually distilling, doing some third-party distillations for somebody else using Irish juniper. Uh, my brother Mike, who's in charge of that side of the business, thought it tasted really well. Uh, we put it into a competition just as juniper on its own, just um, neutral alcohol, and the juniper 
distillate from Irish juniper um, as, a, as a product on its own. And it won a gold medal at the World Gin Masters. So, you know, straight away you're sort of saying, right, this is actually, this is actually a very good product here. So we released that, Atchel is the name of it. It actually won uh, Best Irish um, Signature Botanical Award two weeks ago uh, in the World Gin Awards. So, again, um, it's quite a junipery gin, right? So lots of people like this kind of junipery notion, I suppose, in, in, in gins. And, uh, you know, so it, it's gone down very, very well. And again, testament to the quality of it is, is the, the, the kind of awards it's winning. Third product we make ourselves is uh, Zesty, which is a citrus vodka. Um, and again, it's a product that has kind of evolved for us as we were kind of working through the development of Slingshot in the first instance. There were some elements of that that we thought, God, this could be good enough as a product in its own right. So, um, and that's, that's what we ended up turning into Zesty, is the kind of citrus distillate element of the Slingshot. So um, we released that in October 2019. A week later, it won um, the Best Irish Vodka at the Irish Whiskey Awards. I suppose we'd like to think it's still the reigning Best Irish Vodka because due to COVID, the Irish Whiskey Awards haven't been held since. So <laughs> it's still the Best Irish Vodka. These are holding on to title. And it's picked up a number of other awards since. So um, they're the three kind of core products we make ourselves. Yeah. And Peter, when you're talking about uh, using the peat in the slingshot gin, is that locally sourced peat or where, where does that come from? Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's peat from the um, bogs around us. I mean, yeah. you know, the quantities of peat we're using now are, you know, we're certainly no threat to, uh, to what was board pneumonia. <laughs> you know, it's very small quantities. Yeah. Right? So we're, Okay, Peter, one of the products you make is the Bridge Whiskey. Do you mind telling me a wee bit about that our product and the process you go through to make it? Yeah, no problem. So the Bridge Whiskey is the name we have given to what we describe as our guest whiskies. Because we're not at a stage yet where we're laying down our own whiskies, right, uh, we followed a, a similar kind of route to many other distilleries um, where we've bought in third-party whiskies. And, and effectively, you know, pre-2010, there was only kind of two distilleries in Ireland. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're buying it from one or two of the same places. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, we bought in a kind of range of aged whiskies, a range of whiskey styles and a range of um, ages. You know, so some, some of the product we brought in is nearly 20 years old at this stage. Some of it's, you know, 10 years old, 6 years old. Uh, just recently, we bought some three-year-old product. You know, very shortly, we're going to buy in some actually new make from somebody else. So the whole philosophy there is you then determine what casks it goes into. There's kind of three components to making a good whiskey. You've got to have good, um, you know, good raw materials, I suppose, or good barley, right, to make, uh, you know, good beer, right? And the good beer makes good whiskey, so you're making good spirit. But then you've got to put it into good casks or the wood, right? Um, and so really what we do is, um, you know, uh, I, I suppose, purchasing a range of casks, specially selected casks ourselves. So they could be red wine casks, they could be old sherry casks. You know, some of the some of the casks we have this stuff in could be 60 years old that we've bought in from Spain. Yeah. Um, and leave it for a period of time and check it constantly and see how it's interacting with the cask. And more or less nearly when it's ready to release, we then bring those out as products. Okay. So we created the Bridge series as a way of uh, nearly a vehicle to allow us to do that. So the Bridge is 
I suppose, a, a, a nod to the bridge in Lanesboro, which is, the, the Lanesboro has been a, a, a crossing point on the Shannon for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. But it's also this kind of metaphorical journey of join us on the journey across the bridge to, to when we'll have our own whiskies distilled in Lanesboro at some future point. So um, the bridge, you know, it, it kind of serves a dual purpose there. And, and, you know, we're not hiding anything here. We've been very kind of upfront and transparent in saying these aren't whiskies that we've distilled ourselves, but we have added some value to them in terms of influenced the final um, maturation and the final taste of them. So what, what we do with those is, is you know, we, we store them off-site in, in other warehouses, bonded warehouses. You know, at the end of the process, we bring them to our own, um, I suppose, verified bottling facility in, in our distillery and bottle them up ourselves and release them out to the market from there. So that that's kind of the, the, the process of it. Um, you know, it's, it's the old kind of how long is a piece of string question. I mean, I could, you know, I could talk for the rest of the day on the, the, the kind of maturation end of it and the wood. If you got talking to my brother, he could talk for the rest of the month on it quite comfortably <laughs> without drawing breath, I'm sure. So it, it's a huge, huge area. Yeah. Now, Peter, uh, when I was researching this show today uh, before I was chatting with you, um, I was speaking to a couple of people and they kept saying to me about the angel chur when it comes to the casks. And I was quite perplexed about this. What is this angel chur? Right. Let me try and, and give you, I'll give you my version of it anyway. Mm-hmm. It won't be too far off the, off the beaten track. So what the angel chur is, a cask is a dynamic receptacle, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. So you know, depending on the prevailing atmospheric conditions, the cask expands and contracts, okay? Um, and that helps to influence the aging process because, uh, you know, if you think about it, it opens and closes the grain within the cask, mm-hmm. right? And the grains in the oak staves in the cask, and which allows the liquid to interact with it. And um, that's all part of the process. But also as part of that, because... You know, it ultimately means that the cask isn't fully, shall we say, airtight, right? Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, you get some degree of evaporation. You know, effectively what you have in the cask is alcohol and water. So you have an alcohol mix at about, typically goes into the cask at about 63% alcohol, right? Yeah. So if you take a 200-liter cask, 120 liters of that odd is alcohol and the rest is water. So you get this kind of evaporation um, process happening uh, as the whiskey kind of sits in the warehouse in the cask. And it, it, it tends to be, um, I suppose, accentuated in the first year or two. So it could be as high as kind of two and a half, three percent of the actual volume in the cask yeah. um, in that first couple of years. And then it goes down, you know. But it, um, yeah, you know, and we, we would see it ourselves. I mean, you know. Um, if you take a cask that's been matured for three years and you empty it out and you measure the volume and you take a cask that's been matured for five years or seven years and you empty it out and you measure the volume, there's less, yeah, you yeah. know, like as in litres less. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the angel's share. So, right. listen, it's a, it's a function of the business, right? Um, yeah. Somebody told me once about a... Uh, you know, so, some distillery and they, they had a new accountant who arrived into the business and he, he um, you know, was somebody was describing the age of share to him and he just thought this was ridiculous, right? Um, 
so they did an experiment where they uh, they got the cask of whiskey, right, and then they sealed it. They put it in a sealed box, okay, yeah. and they left it for the three years or whatever. Um, and when they came back and opened it up, every drop of whiskey was still there. The full volume was still there. So the 200 liters they put in the cask was still there, right. except it was like water, as in clear liquid. Right, so they—if you think of whiskey, whiskey, yeah. whiskey coming off the still is like water, as in it's a—it's a transparent liquid. Mm-hmm. It picks up its coloring and its flavoring from the wood, right? Yeah. So it's you know the, the the poor accountant. Sure, he had solved one problem, but he had created another because <laughs> he, he didn't have any flavor in the product. So, yeah. um, listen, it's a—it's just a function of the business, mm-hmm. um, and there's nothing there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, yeah. listen. I suppose it's 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 turned into this kind of nice mythological story. I suppose yeah, you know, the yeah. angels share and kind of give unto Caesar a, a small bit. There's for the gods, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's just a scientific um, scientific occurrence as, as as part of the industry. Yeah, I have to admit, uh, one of the people that told me about it was my wife. And uh, I, I kind of looked at her quite confused and I thought, no, <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> but I'll, yeah. I'll go back now and tell her that I'm actually wrong. It is right. Peter, I notice as well as selling your products in retail stores, you also have an online store. How do you find trading online? Um, find it very good, Jim. I mean, it, it's something we weren't doing to any great extent up to probably um, midsummer last year. Um, and really, um, you know, kind of a, a necessity out of COVID uh, as much as anything else. Listen, we started trading uh, some products online and then, then, listen, we just added, we put everything online. And um, I, I suppose there's two elements to it, right? I mean, the the fulfillment end of it, right? So, you know, what you've always got to realize about online is, um, you know, there's, a, there's an element of somebody still has to stack the shelves online okay um and you know when when an order comes in and somebody orders the product there's a whole fulfillment end of it right so that's been that's been quite a learning curve for us um but you know we've slickened it up and we've we've got better at it and and you know like we we traded very very strongly online in the the lead into christmas um and uh surprisingly so i suppose we're it's still happening. Like so, it's it's listen. It's very refreshing to wake up in the morning and see some orders after coming in overnight from some guy in Brussels or in Germany or, you know, Kinnegad or wherever, yeah. um, buying your product. Yeah. It's great. Your online the, platform uh, is it aimed for the general public or is it a mixture of the general public and wholesale? I know, like it, it really, it's a, it's a B two C pitch. Really, uh, like it, it, it's um, we haven't kind of gone down the wholesale route with it yet. Um, and, and again, part of that Tim, is yeah. if, if you take the alcohol market pre-COVID, you know, it was very much you know on trade as in bars, restaurants, hospitality, and off trade as in off licenses, um, you know, uh, yeah. and, and locations like that. Um, and online was was quite a small bit of it, right? Um, whereas you look at what happened with COVID. I mean, you know, today is the well, the sixth of March. I mean, most of the bars, a lot of the bars that we would deal with, have been closed more or less since the twelfth of March last year. I mean, some around Dublin have opened up for a while, some around the country have opened up for a while, but so straight away there's a huge tranche of your market gone. Okay, 
And it's not just an Irish thing, it's a worldwide thing. So hospitality worldwide, as in going in, sitting down, bars, restaurants, has, has had a, a horrendous year. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, say, the off-trade end of it, um, you know, what you tended to find, certainly in, in lockdown phases of COVID, was uh, people were going in, but there were, like, in, you know, instead of going to numerous outlets in, in the course of doing their shopping, right, they were effectively going into one place that could be their local supermarket or whatever uh, and getting their, their stuff there, right, and going home and hunkering down again for another period, okay? Yes. So, um, and, and so what, what we noticed, and, and I think what the industry noticed, is they, they kind of dwell time to kind of look and explore new brands uh, just wasn't happening. People were just going in, buying the tried and trusted uh, because they didn't want to delay. They wanted to get in and out as quickly as possible. So if you look at, you know, the impact that that has had on, on a business like ours has been, you know, significant. So the kind of counter to that is saying, well, OK. And, and, and that then drove everyone wanted to kind of go online, but through the kind of online merchants, if you like. So there would be two or three fairly recognized um, you know, I suppose online merchants who would sell spirits. But now everyone wanted to go to those guys. And in terms of you trying to do marketing or anything else or day marketing, mm-hmm. uh, you were just getting lost in the noise, particularly a small brand like yourselves. So by, by kind of trading online directly yourself, uh, it allows you to be much more in control of, I suppose, the journey from your own marketing through to um, selling to the customer. And you can gauge the return on investment much better. Yep. So you can sort of see, okay, if I invest money here in, in my online marketing, digital marketing, paid advertising, whatever else, you can see, you know, you can you can measure the amount of people that, that has been exposed to. You can see the translation of that, those people coming to your website, and you can see the conversion of those people who land on your website into sales, um, which, you know, is, is is much better, I suppose, than either of the other two, uh, the, the on-trade and the off-trade um, type, type of scenarios. So, listen, you know, I think when the world comes back from COVID, right, online is going to be a much, much bigger portion of the market and a much more valid channel to oh, for selling drink than it ever was, yeah, right? Definitely. And, you know, as a result of something strategically, we're looking very, very strongly at it. We're doing more than looking. We're acting in, you know, solutions in a European context, solutions in a U.S. context. Um, and, it, like, if, if I just give you an indication, and this probably tells the story in its own right. So one of the biggest online retailers in the U.S. called Drizzly, right? Mm-hmm. About a month ago, Uber, everyone will probably be familiar with Uber, Uber bought Drizzly for a billion quid, right? So that'll give you an indication of where the market, you know, yes. where, where that kind of channel to market yeah. is probably heading in the longer run. I suppose too, Peter, when you look at the new legislation for the merchandise and alcohol, the display of alcohol, it's very hard for breweries and distilleries setting out 
to be able to market their products on the on-trade. Um, I see that a lot of shops now have to put in cabinets and the spirits or whatever else has to stay in these cabinets unless the person actually knows about your brand in advance and knows that, that their shop sells it. It restricts your ability to to advertise to new people. Yes, absolutely. Now, like, um, I suppose I'd have, you know, I'd have two views on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the elements within the public health alcohol bill are, are very welcome. Um, and you know, particularly, and, and I okay, I suppose next Christmas will tell the tale. But I think if you if you look at the the classic kind of pre Christmas behaviour of the of the big brands, is an awful lot of product just gets dumped on the market yeah. uh, at, at pricing which you know, uh, if you do the maths on it, can only be below cost. Okay, mm-hmm. um, you know your 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 twenty euro bottle of spirits. If you take out the excise and the VAT out of that, there's about four quid left for the retailer, the distributor, and the producer, right? So that just doesn't make sense. So, you know, anything that will kind of, the, the, when the minimum pricing elements of that bill come into play, I think that will work more in our favor, right? Uh, because it will reduce the price differential between the kind of, um, if you like, the bog standard brands and, the premium brands like ourselves, you know, and, and like getting for someone like us getting into a race to the bottom is pointless. We yeah. might as well just fold up the tent. Yeah, so, it's more about market share at, at, at that there scale. When you're when you're racing to the bottom like that there, it's more about just gaining market share than any meaningful kind of kind of yeah uh, yeah. Sales. So like you know, I, I suppose the the elements you're talking about in terms of, in terms of your product being uh, you know displayed behind barriers and stuff like that, and and again. Mm-hmm. Listen, um, I only while you while you kind of know about the alcohol bill and your, you know, I suppose it's only the physical manifestation of some of that that you've seen in the last month or six weeks that you're thinking, oh God, right, okay. So which which nearly go back to your point, uh, accentuates why you've got to nearly try and be in control of your own destiny as much as yeah. possible um, in in the, the kind of online world going forward. But I suppose. It's important to, to put it in context, right? So, you know, our business isn't created purely for the Irish market, right? Like, a, you know, a business like ours wouldn't be sustainable just in an Irish context alone, okay? We've got to get the product off the island um, and, and, you know, kind of leverage on the global demand for Irish whiskey and the, the kind of, you know, global reputation of Ireland as a, as a producer of, you know, good quality food and drink. Yeah. Well, that leads me on to my next question. Do you currently export your product or uh, are you producing just solely for the Irish market at the moment? No, no, we, we export. I mean, we're uh, currently export to Germany, uh, Italy. Um, we just did a deal with a guy last week. So we've, we've a shipment going to Belgium next week. Um, so these are, these are, we just appointed a distributor there. Um, we have products uh, with product going to Estonia in the next couple of weeks as well um, and that's more of an online play uh, we'll have product going to the UK um, in April and again we kind of steered away from the UK with the whole Brexit thing but again we know we now have a, an online route to market in the UK um, so that'll go live in April so we'll, we'll have product over there to service that so no I mean it, it, listen um, 
I suppose 2019, we put a huge amount of work into working on route to market, developing route to market, um, you know, at, at some of the kind of international trade fairs uh, and had, had lots of kind of conversations going, had a lot of work done in the tax-free world, like, a, and people mightn't realise this, but, you know, the whole duty-free side of business is massive, right? Um, you know, COVID came, the duty-free business has been wiped out yep. uh, and God knows when that will come back. So, um, but that hasn't stopped us continuing to have conversations and, and listen, you know, you know, I suppose the sales cycle is a little longer. So instead of meeting somebody at a at a trade fair and allowing them to taste your product, you know, you're 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 having to meet them virtually, and then send them a sample of product and then re-engage. And so it just drags that process out yes. by a number of months. Yes. So even if I take the guy in Belgium, uh, you know, that's probably a conversation that started last July or August, right? So it's taken six months to kind of come to a conclusion. Uh, to agree on terms and for him to place a first order. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it, so there's a huge amount of effort and legwork and everything else that has to go into all of this, but it's uh, really, you know, the game for us is a global drinks business. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, a, it's about opening up markets that you can service, you mm-hmm. know, so, so that's also important that you don't kind of have, you know, export into 40 countries, but... You know, it's the second order to the forty countries is the important one, yes. <laughs> not necessarily the first one. It's so, a consistency. You know, we're, we're like with somebody going um, to Bordbia again, um, going working in the German market for us, um, starting in kind of mid summer. So you, you know, um, at the scale we're at, it's it, it's about um, you know, I, I suppose biting off what we can chew in terms of in terms of markets. And, and being able to service those and and, um, and and listen, all the while understanding the business. We're not industry veterans by any means, so yeah. every day is a school day and you learn something new and, you know, we just gotta just got to keep at that. Exactly. Peter, uh, a lot of our listeners are uh, listening to podcasts from the States out there, especially around Texas and that. Uh, any plans for those listeners to be able to get their hands on your product? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we are working on um, an online uh, strategy for the states, which um, I would expect by around the end of May into June that we will have product available online in the U.S. for delivery into minimum 30 states, maybe as high as 35. Uh, the U.S. is kind of funny. You've got these controlled states where the alcohol distribution is controlled by the government. Um, it kind of goes back to prohibition and, and all of that stuff, but also the government, it's a revenue stream for the government. Um, so I think there's 18 states fall into, into that, which just, you know, it, it's quite tricky. But the rest of the states don't, right? And, and you can service those online. So, um, and Texas is one of the states that um, is in the controlled state. So our product will be available online um, for people in the states. Brilliant. That's great news. Peter, each week I ask our guest to choose three pieces of music uh, to play on the show. What's the first piece of music you have for us? First piece of music for me is, I'm not a massive music man, but I do love kind of trad music and, and, and kind of um, folky uh, music, I suppose. So big Dubliners fan. So the Rocky Road to Dublin is the first piece I have. Great stuff. That's coming up now. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. 
Well, in the merry month of May, now from me home, I started, left the girls and two were nearly broken hearted, saluted father dear, kissed me darling mother, drank a pint of beer, me grief and tears, the smothered enough to reap the corn and leaf, for I was born, got a stout McFarland, a banished ghost and goblets, a brand new pair of brogues to rock the love of the bogs and frighten all the dogs on the rocky roads, a double and one to three for five, hunt a hare and turn them down the rocky roads, and all the ways to double and make for all the dogs. In Mullingar that night, I rested them so weary Started by daylight next morning late And there he took a drop of the pure To keep me heart and drink And that's the paddy's cure When there is up for drinking They hear the lassie smile Laughing all the while At me curious tail To touch a heart above And he asked me Was I hired and wages I required to lie Was almost tired of the rocky road To double and one to three for five Hunt a hare and turn them down the rocky road And all the way to double and make for lolly In double and next arrived I thought it such a pity to be so simple in the private view of Dutton City Then I took a stroll All among the quality bundle It was stowell in a neat locality Something crossed me mind When I looked behind the bundle Could I find upon me stick of water and fire And after the rogue Said me cunless brogue It wasn't much in bogue On the rocky road To double and one to three for five Hunt the hair and turn them down the rocky road And all the ways to double and make for lolly From there I got away My spirits never fail And landed on the cage Just as the ship was sailing Captain at me Said that no room hardy when I jumped aboard a cab and flew for Paddy Down among the pigs, did some hearty rigs and paid some hearty jigs The water round me bubbling when the folly head I wished myself was dead or better far instead On the rocky road to double and one to three for five Up to hell and turn them down the rocky road And all the ways to double and make for lolly The boys of Liverpool, well when we safely landed Call myself the fool, I could no longer stand it Blood began to boil, temper I was new as empowered all there in Zile they began abusing Harami So I'll say me shillelagh I'll apply Galway boys were by And so I was a-hobbling With the lower hooray The joy and the affray Quickly clear the way For the rocky road To double and one to three for five Hunt the hare and turn her down The rocky road And all the ways To double and make for Lolita Welcome back. You're listening to Ross FM and today I'm joined in studio by Peter Clancy, owner of Lockery Distillery. Peter, I believe Lockery Distillery have recently been approved for funding from the Just Transition team. First of all, congratulations. But what was it like to go through that application process and what are the next steps in the development? Yeah, Jim, I mean, it was it was a fantastic boost for us. Um, it was a, a process that had been going on since God, I think probably mid-summer, June, I think our application went in in July, some clarifications after that. Um, so um, I suppose, listen, what we had been saying to people all along uh, was it was very important for us. Here was an opportunity for the state or, or the government or I suppose the Just Transition Fund to deliver a vote of confidence in our project and what it can do for the local area. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we, we were really kind of appreciative that people kind of sat up and listened to that um, argument. And, you know, ultimately because the Just Transition Fund is designed to, I, I suppose, um, compensate might be the wrong word, but to help to replace the traditional industries in the area, as in Bordemont and ESB. Mm-hmm. And in Lanesboro, I mean, that's been the kind of mainstay of the economy for the last 70-odd years. So, you know, you remove that and uh, it leaves a fairly gaping hole mm-hmm. and yet you know we're a business that are there be it embryonic be it ambitious with big plans or whatever but if we get this right 
uh, there's no reason why we can't deliver upwards of 20 jobs, 25 jobs over over the next, you know, four to five years. But also, you know, changes the kind of industrial base a small bit of, of Lanesborough. And there's, a, there's another factor in this, which, you know, maybe people overlook, but mm-hmm. you picture the kind of Lock rebrand sitting on bars in New York or in Shanghai or, or, or Vancouver or Seattle or wherever, okay, all that does is it nearly creates this kind of Bushmills effect, right? If you've ever been up in Bushmills, I have, yeah. you see, or down in Middleton, you see throngs of people flocking to the place mm-hmm. to see the home, the home of Bushmills or the home of, of Jemison or whatever. And that's entirely possible with, you know, having the Lock Reed brand out there in Lanesborough County, Longford, front and centre on, on our products out there on the global stage. So, listen, <laughs> that's an awful long answer, but you know, for the Just Transition Fund, it was a real vote of confidence in everything we've been doing to get that funding allocation. Yes. Um, you know, where is it at at the moment? I suppose we're still working through the process of, you know, getting that over the line. I mean, about half of these projects ended up being adjudicated to, to um, uh, fall under kind of state aid rules. And we, we were one of those. So we're, we're you know, we've just come out at that end of the process and then there's, there's some element of verification to happen next. So, um, I mean, there's an arduous process. Listen, if you're used to kind of filling out forms and uh, applying for grants or anything else, not unduly, right, yeah. I would say. Um, and, you know, you know, if you, if you look at it on the other side of it, it's government money, it's state money, and, and that it's, you know, um, it's, it's given out to, 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 I suppose, proper projects and also that there's going to be some element of holding people to account for it. So no kind of objections on, on, on that um, that scale with it. I mean, it's, it's you know, like every process, it, it ends up taking longer than you probably originally envisage it will, but it, it is what it is. Peter, um, just on that there, Lanesborough and the surrounding areas have been massively devastated over the last number of months with uh, the closure of Board Namona Works and uh, the power station going out there. When you look forward, what kind of vision do you have for Lanesborough? Listen, I, I've got a positive vision. Yes. Otherwise, I wouldn't be locating my business there. Or I wouldn't mm-hmm. have located my business there. Um, you know, listen, we, Lanesborough is our hometown. You know, we grew up there. I mean, the backstory, I suppose, is, is, you know, both our parents came to Lanesborough with teachers from the vocational school in Lanesborough in the 1960s. Then you know, romance took its t- took its course or whatever. But that's that's why we've ended up in Lanesboro, um, and it's you know, Lanesboro's been very good to us, and it's it's um, I suppose our project is is, is recognising the potential that's in Lanesboro and us trying to do our bit to to create something there. Not not just for Lanesboro. I mean, we're, we're creating a business for you know, ultimately. Um, to be in business for ourselves and, and to generate wealth for, wealth for ourselves. But a, a nice add-on is that it's in our hometown and it can have a, a, a knock-on effect to our hometown. I'm very positive, right? I think, um, and, and you know, the one thing that you'll find in Lanesborough, and I think, you'll, listen, you'll probably find it in lots of communities around the country, but there's a huge amount of people with, you know, very well-meaning people, you know, that have, you know, some really good ideas around... Um, what can be done around the town, okay? And, it, you know, it's not just around the town, it's around the locality, right? Um, and, you know, I, I certainly have to hand it to, 
the, the good folks in the councils either side as well, where, you know, they, they kind of see this as well and they see this opportunity to kind of tap into um, those groups of people and support them in whatever way they can. So, you know, I, I would say there's a little bit of some of those plans being caught on the hop mm-hmm. by the speed at which the board of Mona and ESB um, industries have kind of closed down. You know, I, I think the kind of, I, I suppose, perceived wisdom was that, that maybe the, that might have been around for another three or four years. So some of these plans would have been further accelerated. Mm-hmm. So that's that's obviously very unfortunate. But I think it's time for people to kind of reimagine what for can be, you know. And, and I mean, you, you often hear this, um, that's, you know, in the old days, Lanesford, if you look at all the houses in Lanesford, they're all with their backs to the river, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in actual fact, that's the asset. Okay, so for years, the asset, the primary asset in the region, has been ignored. And not that by any badness or anything like that, but that was just of its time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think if people flip that around and recognise the asset, okay, and you know, if you look at, you know, what we're trying to do, if you look at what the the access for all people are trying to do, if you look at say, the, the food hub in Lanesborough are trying to do, there's some other works going on over on the Flintuskert side. You know, you marry that with some of the kind of infrastructural stuff, uh, like, say, say the new walkway out to, out to the canal. Um, you know, the, the future is positive. It's, it's going to take a little period of time. So this kind of light switch as, as that there's, there's, you know, there's immediate re- replacement jobs for those jobs that are lost. Uh, is, isn't there, right? Yeah. But I think with the goodwill of the people involved um, and, um, you know, the, the, to me, there's no reason why it can't happen. It, it will be a different, it will be a different future to what has been the case for years. Um, but, you know, I think with the, with the right spirit and with the right um, ideas, and, and there's a plethora of, of, of great ideas out there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, People's hard work and good intentions. I, I, I'm entirely optimistic about what it can be. That's great to hear, Peter. I'm I'm a great believer in business that a rising tide lifts all boats. And when you look at a big project like the distillery, Lockery Distillery uh, project, and what you have planned going forward, at or I think at. Um, that kind of a lift in Lanesborough is going to have a massive knock-on impact for lots of other stuff. Uh, there, so it's only positive. Yeah, well, listen, that's how we feel about it, Jim. Yeah. I suppose otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, we're going to play Peter's second choice of music for today. What have you got for us, Peter? So my second one is uh, from the Cranberries. So I've always liked the Cranberries music. Um, this was a toss-up between Zombie and Linger, but I think Linger's a little bit more upbeat. So we'll, we'll yeah. go with Linger from the Cranberries. That's coming up next. <laughs>
joined in studio today by Peter Clancy of the Lockery Distillery. Peter, what's the next stage in the development of the Lockery Distillery? So the next stage for us is um, obviously to get the Just Transition funding finalised um, and then to move forward into, um, I suppose, starting construction on our main site, the post office site. And again, with a focus initially on, on getting the kind of whiskey production unit up and running as early as possible and then looking and addressing the visitor aspects of it. So, um, you know, I suppose the, the funny thing pre-COVID was just before COVID hit, we got our fire cert. So, you know, all the kind of regulatory stuff is in place uh, to allow us to kind of start the development. Uh, most of the long lead equipment, like the stills and stuff like that, are, are, um, are on order. So, you know, we, we and again, both myself and my brother Mike, our background is, is, is kind of process engineering, so we're, we're fairly well placed to bring this together pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still probably talking about, you know, 10 to 12 months from when we break ground to actually, um, I suppose, the first whiskies being, being laid down on that site. So that's the next stage in it. Um, do you know, I suppose there's, there's unknowns in there. I mean, obviously, construction is stopped at the moment there's an expectation that will happen in 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 april or start in april you know i i i think uh, i hope i suppose that some stage mid-year that that we'll be in a position to to, to get moving on the construction phase yeah. peter i know you've uh, spoken to me uh, about uh, just transition team funding and all that but do you feel you have enough funding in place at the minute to go forward with a project, or are you still in the search for more investors? So, the the funny thing about this business, Jim, right, is mm-hmm. you never have, you never stop fundraising. I mean, I'm sure guys at Irish Distiller Scale and and at Bush Mill Scale and Scale and everything stop yeah. fundraising, but um, you know, it's capital intensive business uh, to to get moving, and then it's a it's a, an opex intensive business uh, to lay down whiskey, right? Mm-hmm. 
so you know every every barrel you lay down sure has an asset value but there's a there's a cost of laying that down and you can't sell it for a minimum of three years so um the you know i suppose the short answer to that to your question is we you know we have you know it, it's like a jigsaw right the whole funding element of it and it's it's a trade-off between trying to to find what's right for the business and what's right for ourselves as founders of the business and you know what's the right fit in in in, in terms of investors so we have a we have a body of investors already i would say you know you never stop the the hunt for investors be that on the debt side or be that on the equity side so you know um i suppose if any any of your listeners out there um you know want to talk to us in terms of some form of serious investment and, and i don't mean that in a, in a derogatory sense but it's you know um you know it, it, it's the kind of six-figure kind of investment is, is is the type of stuff we need to be talking about um then for sure um we, we'd be doing our business a disservice if we didn't uh, you know have have listen to, to to what people are interested in so um having said that you know there's there's other ways of investing in the business um so later this year we plan to run a public eis scheme again people are probably familiar with those yeah. um you know where you can gain up to 40 percent tax relief so that's a that's a, a a lower entry point um you know investment or way of investing in our distillery again um we have a cask program which we probably reinvigorate and, and tailor towards the states in, in in the next three or four months but again that's a way to allow people to to, to invest uh and and somewhat in the distillery and uh, you know um so really i suppose short answer to your question jim is um you know if, if there's anyone out there who likes the sound of what we're doing um by all means let's let's have the have the discussions and uh, see where that takes us peter for our listeners that are looking to find out more about the lockery distillery uh what's your website address so the short version of our website address www.lrd.ie um so you'll find us there uh, information about us information about our products and obviously our online shop is there as well that's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, that's all we have time for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank my guest, Peter Clancy from Lockery Distillery, for taking part, and Margaret McHugh for helping me produce this show. Join me next Thursday from 5 pm to 6 pm for more of the business show. Our last pick of the day by Peter is. My last pick, Jim, is uh, Don't Look Back in Anger from Oasis. So I think that's a, uh, a good motto uh, for life in general and business as well. Get over it, move on. So don't look back in anger. That's great. Thanks Thank you, much. Peter.
Join me, Jim McCausland, for the Business Hour on Ross FM every Thursday from 5pm to 6pm for all your business news and business chat. Ross FM 94.6, your community radio station for all your job vacancy adverts. Have you got job vacancies you want to advertise for unbeatable prices? Then look no further than Ross FM 94.6 for your job vacancies, which will be aired on the Business Hour show every Thursday between 5 and 6 p.m. Contact us today via email info at rossfm.ie to have your job vacancies on air.